don't focus on getting way better at the things you're bad at. Like focus on your superpowers and make them super superpowers. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy King Taco, aka Rabbi Canlos, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Noah Fram Schwartz, the co-founder and CEO of Glimpse. This is a trendy episode right here. Go grab your white claw. Noah is onto something real cool with meetglimpse.com. It showcases products and businesses before they're mainstream. A while ago, I heard about pickleball, oat milk, and White Claw from his newsletter. And now I'm drinking weird-ass oat milk and playing pickleball. It's a true story. Noah's company created a super cool magic eight ball of the future. So I brought him on the show to share what the future looks like so you can use it for your business. Here's three giant things you'll learn. Number one, how you can find new trends even before Google trends. Number two, figuring out the difference between a fad and a real trend. And number three, what you can do for your business knowing the future. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more trendy magic along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to give a quick plug to our brand new product we just launched for Shopify store owners called meetfam.com. That's M-E-E-T-F-A-M.com. It is the future of email marketing for Shopify stores. So if you're a small business owner and want help doubling your email marketing revenue, go check out meetfam.com. We have a special on AppSumo right now, so you can get it on AppSumo for $50 for life. Enjoy. Also, special pre-show shout out listener to Klee Tunes from New Zealand. I thought that was a New Zealand accent. He left a review saying, the enthusiasm is contagious. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the feedback. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave an iTunes review. I check every single one. We're live with Noah Fram Schwartz on No King Presents Show. I got oat milk because on the Meat Glimpse, and it's G-L-I-M-P-S-E. Mm-hmm. So on the meatglimpse.com site, you guys have a newsletter showcasing upcoming and latest trends. And I saw oat milk as one of these upcoming trends. So I was excited to bring you on the show today to talk about what's trending in the world. Yeah. What's trending for you? Like what's something lately that just like, holy shit, just to kind of get people being like, oh, wow, I never even heard of that. That's what I want them to think. I mean, the stuff that I think is most interesting, sort of like what you were saying, is the stuff that has the biggest aha moments where it's just like, oh, my God, I did not know that was a thing. And that's crazy that that's the reason it's taking off, right? So like one of my favorites is pickleball. It's crazy because all of the people on our newsletter are like, I've never heard of this. The main demographic is like elderly people, like 60, 65 plus. I go to my grandma when I'm writing the newsletter and I go, grandma, have you heard of pickleball? And she goes, of course, I heard about it four years ago. And I was just like, (laughs) it's so funny, right? When like that group is so aware of it. And then we have all these people in the tech world who are like, I know everything that's trending. And it's just so we're all in this bubble. Everyone's in their bubble, right? And it's sort of how do we use tech and like really looking at big picture data to understand things outside of our bubble and be exposed to them. So pickleball is one of those. Pickleball is so funny because it's growing so fast, popular among the elderly, right? And what's really funny is how these retirement homes will pay. Last time I checked, it was like 10 or $15 CPC on Google for people, I think, typing in like pickleball retirement community or something. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you probably, when you're that age, you probably aren't hopping from community home to community home. You're probably like picking one and staying there until it's over, right? And so I guess that sort of LTV justifies spending more on acquiring people. But the fact that people are coming in and making that choice because of pickleball is like 
crazy. Like, it's just so funny. So what I'm looking for today, and what I think is really interesting about what you guys are doing is you guys are finding trends before everyone else. So I think what's interesting is like, how do people figure out what trends are going to come up themselves, potentially you're using your newsletter at meetglimpse.com, as well as like how to take advantage of it. Because I think when I get your newsletter, it's like, oh, Instagram museums are getting popular or oat milk or metal straws. And I think it's really interesting that they're it's ahead of its time. But sometimes I feel like I need to rush out and go do a bunch of things like, oh, I need to go sell metal straws now. I think that's something that I've definitely kind of gone back and forth. Can we highlight a few other interesting trends that maybe highlight a few that are you think are going to get really big and a few that have actually flopped that you guys thought were going to get big? Yeah. So I mean, just for context, right, we try to cover a broad range of stuff. We cover companies, we cover industries, we cover products. Sometimes we'll look at, you know, styles. And so some of them, you know, have risen up tremendously since we covered them. Capwing was a startup we covered in uh, December. K-A-P-W-I-N-G. They make very simple tools for, um, like, editing and creating uh, media. Okay. So, like, GIFs and, like, little videos and stuff. And, and so they've grown maybe like, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven X since we covered them. And yeah, oat milk is, was a great one. Axe throwing grew a lot since we covered them. CBD gummies. We have some good growth across all the different sort of categories that, that we try to cover. To go back to your earlier question, some of this sort of takeaways, right? I think they range from like some of them being, okay, here's this trend. Here are our takeaways about sort of how consumer behavior at large is evolving. And that can help you, whether you're an investor or whether you're a founder, product person, a marketing person, that can help you make better decisions every day. There's that sort of side of the spectrum, right? The like insights, I guess, the high level insights that translate to day to day things, but they themselves are not day to day actionable things. That's one side. The other side of the spectrum is stuff that is more actionable. So one of the things we see right now taking off that we're actually going to write about in the upcoming newsletter is I think they're called beeswax wrappers. And it's basically like food wrapping paper, but it's made out of beeswax. Um, and there are all sorts of advantages to it um, and all sorts of reasons we think they're taking off. You can read about it in the upcoming newsletter. But so that's sort of an example of the other end of the spectrum, right? More actionable stuff. So a lot of people, a lot of our subscribers are people who sell stuff and want to figure out what to sell. Why is this taking off these bees wrap wax papers? Bees wrap wax papers. You'll have to find out. No, come on. Don't do that, dude. Don't, don't cock tease. Come on, bro. We actually haven't looked really you know, deep into it yet, which is why I say that. If I knew, I would tell you. The way our tech works, right, is we sort of look across all the major channels in search and social and shopping and entertainment. And we look at basically over the past five years, every word, every topic that's being talked about. And we look at topics that are being talked about and searched and commented, sort of all these things at an increasing rate over time. And then we dive a bit deeper and try and understand why it's taking off and how organic that lift is and like how sustainable we think that is. What stuff has flopped? What stuff have you guys thought was going to be hotter? And I want to I want to hear more of these things because I think the listeners, I know for myself, I just love being like, what's the next new thing, company, product, industries? What stuff is like you guys thought it was going to be big and it didn't? A lot of things that flop in general tend to be like the weird, like mewing is a good example, which is basically, I don't know, have you heard of mewing? No. How do you spell? M-E-W-I-N-G. So mewing and then another sort of word in that category is, is tongue posture tongue posturing, it's like pushing your tongue against the roof of your mouth to make your jaw more defined. And so a lot of people will literally like commit hours every day, like well, during their commute while they're like, you know, going to the bathroom, pushing their tongue into the roof of their mouth, hoping that their jaw is going to be, you know, sexier. And so we saw, you know, there's a ton of activity on YouTube 
that we saw rising and we were like, huh, this is super interesting. And sometimes we almost want to include things in the newsletter because they're just so weird and so interesting. And, you know, sometimes we're like, hmm, is this going to continue to rise? Not, not as sure with this one. But we like to be super broad because I think that's, you know, you sort of have to, I guess, you know, expose yourself to the unknown unknowns, right? If you sit there and you're like, I'm going to look at Google Trends all day and type in all these things I've heard of. Well, what about the things you haven't heard of, right? Those are the things that are going to be interesting. And, and how do you get exposure to the things that you don't know exist in the first place, right? And so we just sort of go super wide and try and uh, surface all those things. And so mewing didn't stay as popular as you guys thought it was? I think it's about the same as when we covered it. I know that it grew a lot after we covered it, and then it went down, and then it went back up. And so it's sort of it's sort of all over the place. I, you know, I don't have high hopes for mewing. Let me say this. I haven't been mewing myself. I do want to get into the business model and some other questions around this. I just think people love it, including myself. Like, what other things are, are coming up that are hot? Obviously, if you you know you get a newsletter, you can see some of them. But I think just for people listening, and why are we so fascinated with this? Well, I think we like to understand why things happen. To me, the reason this stuff is also interesting is because so many people assume that, you know, the science or, or sort of the drivers behind why a thing becomes a thing are just random. And I've always felt like that's sort of an excuse to not try to understand why it's happening. And I think that at the end of the day, the overwhelming majority of these trends, there's a reason why they're taking off. And that can all sort of be traced back. You can literally on a single channel look at how a topic has sort of just gone through the channel, you know, from post to post, from comment to comment. And then you can look at how the activity on that channel has, you know, traveled to other channels and just sort of the internet in general. And so I think there are all these patterns, right? But we emphasize the data a ton because there is so much that you can learn from even like looking at the shape of the popularity line, right? Whether it's on you know, looking at Google searches on Google Trends, even if, you know, just pulling it up here in the browser or that same line, on, you know, looking at sales on Amazon or wherever it is, that line literally tells you so much. And so there are all these signals that you can use to understand and break through the randomness to realize that it's not actually random. And I think so many of our subscribers are just so damn curious. And this really just sort of like lifts the veil on what things are happening and why they're happening. I don't know if that does that sort of make sense. Yeah, I guess it's like, how do you know if something's a trend? Like you guys said that lively bras, which is a something obviously I wear, but you said it's something that's becoming more popular in a certain style of bra. I guess one thing I was curious, it's like, how do I know if what I'm working on is going to get popular or not? So the thing about lively bras, I think it's sort of part of a number of these companies, right? The athleisure trend, I think sort of this bigger picture trend of people just being okay with being comfortable rather than trying to be uncomfortable and trying to look a certain way. Right. And so I think that has translated to a bunch of new products and new, you know, people wearing like workout shorts and biker shorts to work. Biker shorts was a, was a huge trend. How do you know if what you're working on is going to be popular? I think it's sort of useful to look at the parent category of what you're working in. And so if you are building, uh, you know, a product like Loom, that is L O O M. So it's a uh, it's a pretty cool tool for like screen recording, and it really supports like remote work, right? Which itself is trending. And so I think Loom, as sort of a child of the remote work industry, itself will be able to ride this wave that's coming. This is actually going back to why I started Glimpse, which was because I wanted to launch products and I didn't know what to launch. And there were sort of two ways that I was looking at it, right? One way was like, okay, I can either spend a bunch of money 
trying to market something to people that like isn't a thing right now. And hopefully by me marketing to them, it'll become a thing. Hopefully it can turn into a thing. Or I can find a wave, you know, sort of find a, a thing that's becoming a thing, right? Find a wave and ride the wave. I thought a bit about like, <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but I thought a little bit about surfing, right? And I was like, it seems like with surfing, you sort of go out into the water and you find a wave and you ride the wave. It's not like you like go out there and like smash your board against the water and like try and make a wave and try and do something there. It's like, it's way more effective. I think if you can find a wave, whether it's like a bigger picture, you know, remote work, and then build something that naturally like absorbs that wave that's coming in, you can just sort of ride it, or at least it makes things easier, right? I think that, that was a great analogy. Have you guys had anyone take something from the newsletter or from something that you called and done and actually run with it? The one that comes to mind is a friend who just launched a tea brand, I think. And we had talked about intermittent fasting tea, which is really funny because the whole idea behind uh, intermittent fasting is that you don't eat anything for like a long period of time, right? And so how do businesses make money if you're not eating anything? What are they going to what are they going to sell you? <laughs> Actually, to take a step back, this is super fascinating sort of phenomenon. These happen all over, right? There's like skin fasting and beauty, which beauty companies have to figure out how do we sell to people who are sort of doing this skin fasting now. So that's a whole interesting topic in and of itself. But going back to intermittent fasting, this tea, you know, a company called I think Peak P-I-Q-U-E tea, they came out with intermittent fasting tea so that people who are doing intermittent fasting can finally like have something to eat, something to consume. And it did really well. And so he, I remember he sent me a screenshot of his first sale. It was like in Shopify or something, just his first sale of the intermittent fasting tea. So it's really cool, as you're saying, right, to like see friends and customers of ours go through the newsletter and grab things and say, hey, we're going to start selling this or we're going to start using this approach. So you originally built the software. And so just for the, the listeners that are thinking about it, like how the hell do they figure out what's trending? You guys look at Google search, YouTube, Reddit, Instagram. Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, there are strong diminishing returns after like a small, surprisingly small number of channels. And so we, yeah, we look at those and we literally just look at every topic on all of them. Yeah, if you had to pick one that you think mattered more, or had a stronger signal for trends, which one would that be? Well, it totally depends on the category, right? So like Google is obviously the most general of them, right? If you're looking at something in entertainment, YouTube is great. If you're looking at products, Amazon is great. And so you sort of have to weigh each of the different channels based on how relevant that product is to that channel. So you originally created this kind of trending algorithm. I know there's different ones like Jungle Scout and a few of these ones specifically for Amazon, but you guys are kind of taking the data, creating a newsletter and selling it as a basically information product. How did you guys evolve to that business model? And then how'd you evolve to that? And then who are the customers that are buying that from you? It sounds silly, but like that's, I didn't know how many people would be interested in this product when we first made it. I had been focused on using this software tool to figure out what to sell, right? As I was saying before. And so a number of my friends, you know, I was constantly sending screenshots to friends being like, wow, this is crazy. Why is Axe throwing taking off? Why, you know, all these X, Y, and Z. And my friends were like, man, like you really have to share these with more people. Like a lot of people would be interested in these. And so I put together a landing page and, and launched it on Product Hunt last year. And it was very clear, very quickly that there were a ton of people who were very interested in it. Um, the types of people, I would say it's like roughly a third investors, a third 
sort of corporates, founders, folks like that. And then a third, just like really curious people. So it's a third investors, a third founders, and a third just curious? Super roughly. Yeah. I mean, all of them are super curious, but I guess that third category just there, who are not founders and not investors. How has the business model evolved with it? So is it just like a monthly subscription to get more of the data from you guys? Yeah. So we do that. And then we use, we sort of from there funnel people in who want deeper dives and more data and sort of do some uh, enterprise work there. So like say a company is in uh, the CBD space or the sleep space or whatever it is, and they want to figure out which products they should be paying attention to, maybe which products they should be launching, how they should be launching them, stuff like that, which channels they should be launching them on, then we help with that. The stuff that's most interesting to me is definitely the newsletter, just because I think it's so much fun to sort of explore broadly how the world is changing, how consumer behavior is evolving. How do people find out about you for the marketing side of this, besides, you know, going on shows and things like that? I mean, Product Hunt, Hacker News, sort of these pools of super curious people. That's like generally our marketing strategy is, right? Like our audience is, it's super curious people. And so let's go and find groups of super curious people and get great content in front of them. And I, I think that's one thing we've definitely been able to demonstrate is being able to produce content that a lot of people find very fascinating. So as long as we can get fascinating content in front of curious people, I think we can continue to grow. One thing with it, I was wondering is defensibility is that I find out a product's coming out, I'm doing it, and then other people just kind of copy it immediately. Especially now that you guys are kind of almost showing the things so quickly to everyone. Totally. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you ever, you ever see The Incredibles. Yeah, one and two. My favorite line for The Incredibles is, if everyone has superpowers, no one has superpowers, right? And so it's the same thing here. So, I mean, I think because a lot of the stuff in the newsletter isn't necessarily... Like, yeah, it's, it's about that trend, but it also, so much of our analysis is about what it says about the broader world, how things are changing, other strategies people can be using. And so if you're like, hey, I really want to go launch all these other products and I need a full list of products I'm going to launch, then that's where sort of our enterprise uh, stuff I was talking about before comes in. I see a lot of the news that are sort of educational and to some extent actionable, but really helping helping people understand how things are changing so that they can make better day-to-day decisions. One thing I was trying to figure out is that when you guys are able to identify as products that are getting more popular, I think there's a function of either A, it's just a unique product, or B, it's something that people didn't know existed. But I wonder if there's a component, have you recognized any marketing things that these companies are doing earlier than others? You know, White Claw, you guys called pretty early, Booksy. The OMAD, I thought was really interesting. You guys put out the one meal a day. I was curious if you guys have identified any marketing activities that these companies are doing that the, like I can use and, and, and the listeners can use. How are these things sparking? Because if you look at some of them, it's like slow, 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 and then they kind of hit. But how are they getting that word of mouth? Because I'm guessing you guys dive into that as you find things that are starting to trend. We talk about this for a bunch of the companies and products. I think one of my favorite examples is Upsolve. Upsolve is really cool because they really focused on SEO. And so Upsolve is basically um, this non-for-profit that makes going bankrupt really easy. And so they realized that like all the searches were local, right? It was like free bankruptcy lawyer, Houston, Texas, or whatever. And so they created thousands and thousands and thousands of articles dynamically that had a little bit of content that was different for each, uh, for, these were all just different landing pages. The content that was different, right, was around like the location of the courthouse and you can go and look at it, right? And so they very quickly, because they had so much content, 
targeting these long tail searches, we're able to rise up super fast. We're similar to you at Sumo with that we're more of a provider of marketing tools. So I do look at, okay, well, what are the verticals that are exploding as ways of like, all right, these companies are smaller, so it's easier to actually contact and get a response before they get super large. So I've actually used the newsletter and been like, oh, this vertical is interesting. Let's find all the companies in it and start building relationships with them. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common use. Curology is a great one. On what? Curology. It's like the acne, the direct-to-consumer acne. There's so much of this direct-to-consumer like Viagra and Adderall and deodorant, toilet paper. It's interesting because I was even thinking about this morning. It's actually been inconvenient for me to try to make time to go to the store to just buy a thing of deodorant versus like go online. And now it's almost a similar price at $7. The convenience of some of these things and the fact that you can return and see reviews and so much. It's definitely shifting our buying habits. My favorite thing about the newsletter is using it as a lens to like understand how consumer behavior is changing. And you often need a sort of perfect substitute for these things to change, right? So like, actually, one of my favorite trends, sober bars, is fascinating because without alcohol, they charge the same price for the drink. And they try to enforce the 21 plus rule to preserve the environment. And so it's literally identical to a bar in price and environment, except that there's no alcohol, right? And so it's sort of this perfect substitute that is needed in order to bridge the gap. You know, people have been drinking forever. So it's it's a very ingrained behavior. I think I heard about that in your newsletter. And there's a lot more of these, you know, one of my favorite ones, I don't know if you covered the newsletters, Athletic Brewing. Yeah, yeah, we wrote about it when we talked about Sober Bars and we uh, interviewed the CEO or we, we chatted with the CEO. And uh, yeah, totally. You know, do people come to you and be like, hey, is this going to be popular? And then you're like, yeah, we, we talked about that a year ago. Is that pretty common? Yeah, we get a lot of emails forwarded from people who are like, whoa, didn't you guys talk about this? Like, Eight months ago, we're like, yep. I found something this morning. I'm going to call it. I actually thought this was like super interesting. I don't think you've seen it. Are you ready? It's called VHO. Okay. Did you know about this? No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's V-E-J-O.com. So you know how there's like Keurig cups? Yeah. It's Keurig cups for healthy food. So it's basically healthy pods that you can instantly drink. So you put it in a blender with water, it auto blends, and then you could take like health drinks with you to go. I saw it in Kevin Love's like... It's actually a pretty cool series on men's health called Fridge and Gyms, and it's just different guys' fridge and gyms. He briefly mentioned this. I went and looked it up. They're in Santa Monica. It's not out yet, but I love the idea. You buy like a pot of fruit or like healthy uh, supplements. You blend it really quickly in their portable blender and just take it to go. I was like, I can see this getting really popular. It's funny that you said portable blender, by the way. That's something we covered a while ago, too. I mean, I think the whole appliance category, like the air fryer stuff is super interesting. The, I mean, instant pot was just like a huge, I mean, billions in <laughs> revenue. I mean, it's crazy how much money Instant Pot makes. Well, something like this, like this VHO thing, like how would I test if it's actually going to be popular or not? So let me highlight a little bit how one of the ways we look at health trends and determine, you know, if we think they're going to continue to rise. You know, I was talking about this a little bit before. You can look at the line itself. This is just one example. You can look at the line and the shape of the line. And when I say the line, I mean like, you know, on Google, the Google Trends line, on, you know, Amazon, sort of the, a similar thing, on, on Reddit, on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. We basically spend a lot of our engineering energy looking at the patterns in these geometries. Right now, if you want to look up intermittent fasting on Google Trends, you'll see that it peaks every January. And so almost every health trend peaks every January, right? New Year's resolution and sort of, you know, humans like fresh starts. And so these peaks in January. So for health trends, we'll often score the trend based on how different 
the high point is in January and the low points later in the year and sort of how fast that decline happens. That'll sort of show how sticky the trend is. Does that sort of make sense? Is it a macro view of the line or what, what do you mean? Yeah. So if you go to Google Trends right now and you type intermittent fasting it and you hit five year on the timeline, you'll see it has this very seasonal seasonal curve and it spikes every January. And sometimes it makes it up past that spike later in the year. But ultimately, it spikes in January. And you can look at the difference between that spike in January and the low points or just the rest of the points the remainder of the year and compare those and look at how quickly that transition happens. Okay. Are you looking at that now? You see that in Google yeah, Trends? You know, I'm actually surprised. I thought the intermittent fasting would have not been so... It seems like it's actually been relatively popular for a few years now, more than I expected. That's the case with almost all of these trends. I think because we are all in sort of our own little bubble, we all tend to overestimate that. We're all like, oh, wow, I didn't know this was, you know... Okay, so what is it about this? So, like in terms of it being sticky and like this is going to be bigger or not? So with intermittent fasting on Google Trends, you can see the spikes every January. And you can see when it first started spiking in January, it would rise throughout the year. And then that it sort of started um, declining after the spike. And so this is one of the signals, right, that goes into our calculation of do we think this will continue to rise? We also, right, will compare this trend line to other channels, right? So say a direct-to-consumer company goes and raises a bunch of money, and then they do like billboards everywhere, you know, Times Square takeover or whatever. And then they might have a nice Google Trends curve, right? Because people are Googling because they're seeing it because they're running ads. They might not have a nice like Twitter curve or, or Amazon curve or any of these other channels. People might not be talking about them as much in the same way that it's rising on, on say, Google Trends. And so you can sort of compare the lines on different channels and get a better sense of like how organic is this growth? Where is the growth coming from? Um, and is the growth sustainable? That definitely sort of plays into our calculations. Does that make sense? A little bit. I mean, walk me through with Curology. You were mentioning them earlier. So Curology is really interesting because when we were looking at it back in December, we saw that a ton of their traffic, almost the majority of their traffic was coming from YouTube or search or direct. And so when we went and looked on YouTube at, at all the videos that were driving traffic, we were seeing that it was all these influencers posting about it, right? And you could sort of put together these pieces and sort of uh, see the effect this has, right? So if you go and look at the search volume, this was back in December, if you looked at search volume for Curology reviews, and you compared that to searches just for Curology, okay. that ratio was a lot better than other brands. And what I mean by better is that fewer people were going and seeking out validation because they already got that validation from the folks on YouTube. And so looking at it from sort of like a, a unit economic standpoint, in a category like therein, like acne, you sort of have this huge trust barrier to every new customer, right? And so you can even sort of like chalk some percent of your CAC up to trust, right? You can say, okay, we're going to prime them with Facebook ads for, you know, two months, and then they'll buy. So like X percent of our acquisition cost is really acquiring trust. And so instead of incrementally acquiring, having to acquire trust incrementally for each user, you can instead do what Curology was doing and have a really great incentive program for YouTubers and get them who already have this following, already have this trust to go and bring people in and in doing so reduce your what you're paying for trust. You're saying for Curology, one of the ways they grew was through reviews on YouTube. 
which sparked their growth. And so they had an incentive program or affiliate program for YouTubers. So is that one of the things that seems to be like getting a lot of growth for a lot of these different D2C businesses? Is it paid reviews or do they do like affiliate programs? Like how do you think they're doing it where they're getting people to kind of recommend and promote their product? I think they were doing both to, I guess, try to answer your broader question. I think in general, consumers just don't trust these big brands as much, right? And so look for more sort of, they're trying to always cut through the noise. And so having these relationships with folks on YouTube and then being able to hear about products for them, I think works better these days than in a category like acne, just hearing about it from the company themselves. And so one of my favorite examples of sort of this bigger picture trend is with OnlyFans. You know OnlyFans? I saw it on the newsletter. I didn't know if it's it's not safe for work or it is safe for work. I think we can make it safe for work. All right. So what is that? So OnlyFans, which is basically Patreon for porn. So the really interesting thing with OnlyFans is that a lot of the creators who go to OnlyFans come in thinking that the more explicit the content, the more that they will make. And it turns out that it's often the opposite. So consumers, you know, will pay for content that feels more real rather than just full on traditional porn. And I really think that like this idea sort of applies to everything on the internet, right? I mean, many of us, I think, assumed that the more free content there is, the less people will be willing to pay for good content. And I think it's really looking like the opposite where there's so much noise from all this content being created that people are really willing to pay to like cut through the noise and get this signal. I think that sort of fits into what we were talking about before, where like people need trust in a way that they didn't necessarily need trust before, you know, because now there's just so much noise. Well, so I guess to the reviews of Curology, do you think it was real, all these reviews? I think it was real enough that the consumers were buying into it. I guess a lot of things, though, you can get people to come by, but if it's not a great product, it won't be sustainable. But it sounds like there's two separate things there. So with like Curology, they got a lot of influencers to just make videos on YouTube, either paid or just by giving out the product. With the OnlyFans thing, it's actually interesting. It's kind of that trend where I'm noticing a lot in different mediums where, or different news mediums where it's like, hey, pay for the information around. So like Substack, OnlyFans, a lot of the like Business Insider, a lot of these different sites are like, pay now for the same information we used to give you for free. I'm curious how that goes with, you know, versus just like the ad based model. But it definitely seems like a trend where people are like, hey, I'm just going to have less people paying me, but that'll be enough to cover it. And I don't have to deal with all the other stuff of ads and fluctuations. I'm actually going to read a quote from one of the co-founders of Substack. I think it perfectly sums up what's going on there. So he writes, the value of attention has flipped. You used to get bored and need to fill your time. Now your time is the last scarce resource. So it makes sense to pay to use it more wisely. We see early adopters doing this happily now, but we think it will become the norm. I think that really drives home the point about how there is so much noise today. There's just so much stuff and we really have to, we have to pay to cut through it because, you know, as a result of the noise, time is, has become so much more valuable. There are so many products and companies that monetize based off of our attention. Whereas like it used to be that almost everything was just like, okay, you know, consumer pays X for this good or service and we're done. And now so much of it is like, okay, well, if we can get eyeballs for X amount of time with Y engagement, then we can monetize this other way. And so because there are all these things trying to eat up our time, we really have to, you know, as he's saying, be more wise about how we spend our time and often use money to help us spend time better. I'm just trying to think of how all of the listeners can take advantage of this stuff. So obviously, they find some of the products 
in terms of the next steps, right? So we find the trends, we find out what's going on. And then I guess we all race to kind of copy. And then isn't it that basically that you just win at the end if you could figure out what's next? In certain ways, certainly. One of the things we've talked about, one of the challenges for us has been figuring out what to do, like just in general, right? Because are we going to be a data company? Are we going to be a media company? Are we going to be a consulting company, right? There are so many different sort of ways that this could go. And so early on, that was a huge question for us. And over time, it's sort of been like, let's get really good at sort of building up this muscle of understanding how a thing becomes a thing. And then let's use that muscle at some point in the future, at some point in the near future. And so, you know, we're excited at some point to uh, do a fund and invest in some of these things. And some of them are weird, right? Like, how do you invest in, you know, mukbang or like ASMR? Right. What's um, mukbang? Mukbang is people slurping noodles on YouTube. No. It started uh, over in Asia. Yeah, it's huge. There's all this stuff on YouTube, right? Like slime and like like slime was a little older, right? Slime, ASMR, mukbang of people just watching other people do like weird things. And, and I think a lot of people find it very sort of cathartic, therapeutic to like watch people dig their hands into slime. I mean, some of these videos have like millions and millions of views. It's crazy. But, you know, today, a lot of people watch people do other things that like, if you said to someone 50 years ago, hey, there are going to be videos, you know, on this thing called the internet, where people are going to watch other people go hiking, you'd be like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Dude, mukbanging. I'm, that's what I'm gonna be doing this weekend. Just gonna be watching mukbanging. Oh, yeah. Mukbang, Marble Olympics. Do you watch Marble Olympics? I have not watched the Marble Olympics. I think just all these things are so wild that, you know, Marble Olympics, mukbang, just so much different stuff. I think that's a lot of the beauty of it. It's like, you know, we all sort of constrain ourselves to what we think is useful and interesting. Um, we sort of shut out the other stuff. But I think it's super important if we're going to stay on top of our game and whatever we're doing that we're open to like, you know, the unknown unknowns and how those can make us better at what we're doing every day. What's next for you guys is the fund going to these companies and saying, hey, we want to invest in you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think my goal with Glimpse is to build a brand that sort of all of the smartest people come to to try to see and understand the future. And for me, like the thing that's made me happiest with all this is just being able to, you know, surround myself with our customers who are like, super, super interesting and super, super smart. You know, when I weigh what I get out of the business, the most exciting thing for me is definitely like, learning from great people. I mean, we have awesome founders, you know, founders of Twitter and Shopify and Envision and AppSumo. <laughs> and, you know, awesome investors, you know, Chris Saka and Andrew Chen and just people who like, you know, when I go and sit down with folks on our newsletter who are really thinking about the future in a really interesting way, I can learn so much from them. And those learnings compound way faster than like, oh, you know, should we be going and working with huge companies to try them help to try to help them figure out you should launch this product, you should launch that product. And so I'd much rather sort of be 10 times smarter about what I'm doing in a year or two years than like, you know, the company be doing 3x revenue. So I think if I optimize for learning from the really smart and interesting people who are our customers, that I will be better off in the long run than if I optimize for cash. I've been focused a lot on like the newsletter and getting great subscribers and meeting with them and talking to them and learning from them rather than like starting a fund on day one. If someone else was starting a newsletter and wanted to get, you know, different audiences and growth, it seems like one thing that you guys have done is put out some of that information for free and then say, 
hey, if you want more, then you're going to pay. So it's kind of been an interesting marketing approach. Not like super revolutionary, but like, hey, here's really unique stuff you're not finding elsewhere. If you want more, sign up. And if you want even more, then you're going to pay. Totally. I mean, over 50% of our paying customers were people who upgraded. So I think the freemium approach is totally the way to go with stuff like this. Well, are you saying that 50% just sign up straight up? 50% of the people who currently pay us every month are people who signed up for free. Hmm. And the other 50 just signed up for paying right away? Yes. That's almost more interesting. The fact that some people are just like, all right, fine, I'll just pay for it and, and don't really consider the 30 or 500 bucks a month. Yeah, I mean, a number of people sign up for those too. I think that like the big driver with a lot of this is FOMO. We have one, <laughs> we have one customer who is telling me that like, he can't open the newsletter while he's at work because he gets too anxious. And that like he has to wait until he goes home to like be more rela- in a relaxed environment, I guess, because he just there's so much that he feels like he's missing out on. And so that's a huge driver for us is like people and you know FOMO. How much are people staying? Is there a high churn on the newsletter? Like I haven't actually had, I mean, AppSumo is a different type of newsletter business. Are you finding most people just like stick it through? Is it a pretty high churn rate? So, I mean, it varies. Like when we look at the people who sign up, I mean, I guess this makes sense in hindsight, right? Like if we look at the people who sign up for paid right away, it's much, much higher, almost like five or 10x than people who upgrade. We have like almost zero churn on people who go from free to upgrade. It's a very polarizing product. When we first launched, just to give you an example, we had the full range of VCs sign up, right? We had like the people on one end who like, they have like a really weird domain and you go to the site and it's down. And like, you're like, what's happening here? And then the other end, like the really reputable firms and, and reputable partners at those firms. And I was really curious what would happen, right? And the majority of the people on that first end, the, the shady, like confused, you know, what's happening here and emailed me and said, this is a huge waste of time. You know, we want to cancel immediately. Huge waste of our money. Please refund it, the whole thing. And people on the other end, partners who we all hear of all the time because they're making awesome investments and, you know, sat down with them and they were like, this is amazing because it really tells us like, how consumer behavior is evolving. And then that trickles down to our investment thesis. And like, and so seeing how polarizing that was, was fascinating. And now I'm like, you know what, if those people on the first end want to cancel, like, great, I don't want to build a product that is skewed towards like getting those people to not churn, and then cause the really awesome people who I can learn a ton from to churn because we're building something that like, nobody really wants that's somewhere in the middle, right? Like I'd much rather be just on the end of like awesome users. I mean, I think a lot of us try to optimize for the losers. Instead, it's like, well, who are the people that are loving it? And then how to like, totally actually get more of that. Totally. I mean, it's just like, you know, people talk about strengths. It's like, they say, don't focus on getting way better at the things you're bad at, like focus on your superpowers and make them super superpowers. Right. And so that's sort of what I think we're doing is like focus on our amazing users, make them love it even more and find more people just like them. Noah from Schwartz, meetglimpse.com. I'm looking forward to like seeing you on a newspaper magazine. Well, not newspaper, but like magazines in the future on the front cover. Yeah, I am too. No, I'm kidding. All right, brother. Well, be easy, dude. This is super interesting. I think all the things that are happening, like what trends, how to take advantage of them, some of the marketing stuff, like the influencer marketing, and then your business models, really interesting stuff. Awesome. Yeah, it was fun chatting. Thank you so much for having me on. Be easy. See you later. Thanks, man. That's a wrap. I hoped you loved the episode. If you did, go check out Noah's company at meetglimpse.com. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go play some pickleball together. And before you go, let me know what you thought of the episode by emailing podcast at okdork.com. I check your subject lines for every email. Hit me with your best. 
And remember, I told you to go do it. Go check out meetfam.com or tell your best friend if you care about them. Meetfam.com for your email marketing automatically. It's crazy if you're a small Shopify business owner. Final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com for doing what he does so well. And thanks to Sean, David, and Dean at the Dork Team. And a special shout out to David Kelly, my boy. You're my boy, Blue. Thank you, David, for everything you do. Just want to let you know I love you and looking forward to more time together. What's your favorite sport to watch?